At this time, Stephen's going to come up. Let's give Stephen a round of applause. Something we don't do. Something, hey, bro. something we don't do enough. I think I saw this recently when Steve and I were at something is, is we forget sometimes to honor the people that God has to serve. And I just want to say, Stephen, we honor you as pastor. I know you spend many hours um, just feeding into the people of this kingdom. And we don't always see the things that Stephen and Delisa, God has doing. But we honor you today as our pastor, and we honor your message today. We honor that everything God has put in your heart that is going to come out. And even if it steps on our toes, it's of God. And that's a good thing because we all need some stomping on toes sometimes. And I just pray that God blesses you as you speak today. Amen. Wow. Hallelujah. Wow, I'm, in, I'm up for that. Thank you for that blessing. Wow. Tremendous. Awesome. Boy, now I'm really ready to preach. Man, that's awesome. So, something to pray about for uh, in our country, and many of you have heard about this. I'm going to have something on, on, um, uh, on the screens here as a resource, childparentsrights.org. Uh, write that down. Um, you may have heard that the Department of Education is, tends to expand the Title IX to include sexual orientation and gender identity. And it's something that's not going through legislation in the House and the Senators. So right now, and they're not telling us uh, from what I've heard, and you guys kind of let me know this week if there's other ways to influence this. So it's just uh, you, you don't get to just go to your Senate, you know, do the, the, the 800 number to the, your senator and, and, and let them know where you're at. This is to the Department of Education, and they have open until September 12th uh, comments from the public. And this website here, uh, childparentrights.org, then you see the Title IX banner, and it says click on the Learn More there, and it'll open up. And it's pretty extensive because it's not just a something you just check and sign off. It's, it's actually you're sending comments, but they give you these Word documents to choose. Like, I'm a religious leader. I could choose that one if you're a parent, if you're this, and, and you kind of embed, the, you know, you click on that one. So it has a few steps in there. I haven't done it because it wasn't going to just take, you know, a minute or two, and I, I realized, okay, I'm going to have to, you know, spend some time on this. Uh, but what, what is happening is that the um, Department of Edu- Education uh, is, is planning to um, uh, promote radical gender identity di- ideology as mandated policy in our schools. And, uh, and with that, then they could withhold you know, the, the, the food and the lunch programs and stuff from a school district or a school and that kind of thing. So it's very serious and... and uh, uh, let's pray about this right now as, as we want to um, trust God uh, in this. Lord Jesus, we believe that we as uh, in our community and in, in the citizens, as citizens of America, we want to protect the children of our nation. And in prayer right now, we say, Lord, stop this. Lord, find a way to block this and turn this around and that it won't be mandated for all the schools Lord Jesus, as, as a policy or legal issues, Lord God. So we pray that your righteousness and your heart of protection, protecting children, would come through and make a way out of this. In Jesus' name, amen. One thing about uh, John uh, Carmichael, a couple of things you may not be aware of, uh, and, and uh, next Sunday is an important Sunday to show hospitality to his family. 
uh, his, he's been in ministry with this family at their church for years. He's been on staff. His dad is the pastor of the church. So they're supporting him. They're coming here to be a part of this transition. And so be sure to meet the Carmichael family. Uh, and so I know it's a holiday weekend, but all y'all get in here, okay, and uh, bless that family. Another family that's coming with them is the Youngblood family. And because Callie Youngblood, who's the oldest daughter of the Youngblood family, is a serious girlfriend with John. And, um, and she's planning on, you know, changing churches. She goes involved in a church here in town. She lives in Shelbyville, works in Shelbyville as a school teacher. She's going to be, you know, coming to this church, helping out in the youth ministry alongside John. So that family will be here as well. So go up to these families Thank them for coming. They're supporting uh, this uh, young couple and their transition, and, uh, and, and let's really build them up. Then the next Sunday on the 11th, Philip and Fred will be back in town. They're out of town next weekend, so we're going to lay hands on John and, and set him as the elders, blessing him and setting him aside for this pastoral role on the next Sunday on the 11th, which will also be an important Sunday, and we'll have a meet and greet before and after church we can hang out and get to know John and, and Callie better. All right. Um, I want to say thank you for already praying for us in this uh, Cuba trip that Tom O'Neill and I are going on with Glenn Haynes. And uh, we are focusing in on at least one Orthodox Jewish community to reach out to them. And it is in a poor area of Havana, Cuba. And so that's why in the church email, if you saw it, we're asking for either financial donations, you can do that online or write a note on your check to go toward buying toys and supplies for these families as an expression of uh, the Messiah's love all the way from Kentucky. You know, they're going to go, KFC? We know KFC. Probably <laughs> every country I go to, that's pretty much what I get back, you know. Um, so... Um, uh, you go with us with your prayers and uh, with, with uh, ways to bless those families. So I am in a part two and realize that if I do want to cut this uh, message a little shorter, then I don't get to your hopes too high, but you know, a little bit uh, to get us ready to go to the, uh, prayer, the schools today, that um, I'm going to need a part three to really encourage us. And so today we are in part two of Covenants That Last. Covenants that last. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a very good joke teller, but I, I want to try. You know, you, it's, it's, you can find almost too many marriage jokes, right? And so there's one that, uh, I mean, here's, a, you know, here's one that, you know, at every party, there are two kinds of people. Those who want to go home and those who don't. The trouble is they're usually married to each other. Opposites attract and that just happens, doesn't it? Yeah. We know that one. Here's a video clip that um, is real short. You've got to be attentive. We're going to play it twice because I didn't catch it all until I watched this twice. So the, um, the, the wife is speaking, and if you look at the words that are in the white box, you can follow you know, what she's saying, and then we'll play it again uh, to observe something else. Let's do it. The relationship between a husband and wife is psychological. One is psycho. One is logical. All right, all right. Let's play this a second time. 
This time, just watch the man's face carefully, okay? The relationship between a husband and wife is psychological. One is psycho, one is logical. <laughs> what a group of, group of eyeballs there. All right. Okay. Okay. Are you okay with that? Can we have some fun? You know, a little fun here and there. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you for helping me with that. All right. Well, God created love. He created romance. He created sex. All of this is his idea. It's even a reflection of the unity and union and communion of heaven. That there is uh, such a oneness in the Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, that God wanted to create something in earth that would resemble uh, the unity of heaven. God created a marriage, covenant. He recreated not as a contract or a commitment, but a lifetime covenant to hold these things that he treasures so much. God's uh, actually heart breaks with rejection. Uh, Jesus knows rejection. Divorce is the ultimate uh, expression of rejection. And God's heart breaks. So, just a quick definition to remind you what uh, we have here for uh, uh, what I see is uh, the marriage covenant is God treasures love, romance, and sexual intimacy. Therefore, He protects these by creating marriage covenant, a lifelong commitment between two people of the opposite gender with God Himself as their unifier. And I haven't seen people put that in there very often, but I put it in there as God Himself as the unifier. And I know when I perform a wedding that I'm representing God and His Word and His truth at that wedding covenant, and I'm representing God's commitment and covenant to these two uh, people. And as two believers in marriage, that's why when Dolores and I meet with someone, no matter how bad the crisis is, and no matter how much pain there is, we have a, a ray of hope every time. Because Jesus, when He saved us, he cleanses us by His blood. He washes us clean. He brings us into His family. And then He doesn't leave us as we are. He wants to sanctify us, make us more like Him. And so I believe as a Christian that you, if you're uh, married and you're a wife, that you're becoming a better, better wife all the time. That's God's work as His sanctification. As for us men, that we are getting, becoming better and better husbands if we allow it. That's part of the promises of God to sanctify us. And then, as we come together, God wants to make our marriages blessed, no matter what season of life that we're in. I want to apologize for last Sunday. I really <clears throat> was disappointed in myself that these controversial issues with divorce and remarriage, and I went through a couple of passages. I did not, I was vague. It was hard for me to get clear on some uh, positions there. And I did find that it is hard in the Sunday morning setting to really weigh all the scriptures that are involved in these very uh, difficult, complex situations and scriptures that are difficult to understand. And so today I'm going to kind of just summarize those points and get to keep moving in the scripture so that you will have, have uh, more clarity in the end there. 
So we're in Matthew 19, and one thing about going through the Bible is you uh, have to be careful if you're skipping a passage. Why is that? And this is a passage that preachers would like to skip because it is a challenging passage. I'm going to read it again. It's the context of what's happening is Jesus is being challenged because in the day there were two thoughts of how rabbis viewed the Deuteronomy Moses uh, uh, scripture that that uh, there and that there's some that say there's only divorce is allowed when there's sexual immorality, unfaithfulness. And others say, well, no, there's other reasons you have to divorce. And in fact, it can be many reasons that the man, the husband, can make this decision. And therefore, in their time, there were too many divorces. And Jesus is being challenged here, and this is you know, how he responds. So verse 3 of chapter 19 of Matthew says, The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put it away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And so I I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Let us pray. Father, thank you that your word uh, transforms us, and we do want to become better husbands and better wives. And we uh, ask you to work that in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the big questions that comes out is, is does Christ allow remarriage, particularly in a situation where the previous divorce in the past was not related to sexual immorality? I don't believe that that was the main point that Jesus was trying to make. Again, I just want to kind of quickly hit this and move on. Yes, it's true that we do have, and I'm going to list uh, three reasons today for biblical reasons for divorce. Number one is sexual unfaithfulness, and that's uh, clear in this scripture. He says it's because of hardness of heart. I believe that Jesus, like he, Malachi chapter 2 in the Old Testament, this was a culture where men were dominated the, the, the marriage and in the culture, and women were often just seen as a property and subjects. And there were too many divorces where these women were left in the community alone and without protection. And there's, so Jesus is motivated here, I believe, to cut back the too many divorces to bring the marriage covenant up to its high place and say, you need to honor this. And if there are problems in the marriage, say, life is life, work with it. Because I am the one who created marriage. And I'm the one who says, what God has joined together, let man not separate. When we go back and look at Matthew chapter 5, which is that first chapter of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is speaking. And in, in chapter 5, he gets six different statements that have this powerful imagery and in, in, uh, statements to them. And I want to take you back there in your mind because I've tried to spend some time on there last week. It was a little bit too much time. I just want to summarize it. 
that there's also a good case by the scholars. That when Jesus is speaking about this whole issue of divorce and remarriage, that he was using uh, hyperbole or rhetoric, rhetoric being a literary device to communicate clearly. And we see in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus does use hyperbole. Hyperbole is a on-purpose exaggeration to make a strong point. We see that uh, in the beginning of Matthew, uh, uh, you know, in this passage where there's these six statements and where he talks about uh, murder. And Matthew, uh, uh, verse 21 and 21, say, you shall not murder, and that's what it was said. But I say today that if you, have, if you hate a brother, you can go to court, and if you go to court, well, if, you're, if you go to court and, and you've murdered somebody, you can get stoned back in good ancient Israel. So he was using hyperbole. He was using an exaggeration to make a point. He doesn't believe if you hate your brother, you should be stoned, but he's making a point going deeper into the heart. He goes on in the, uh, in the next imagery there of verse 27, 28. Says, if you, it says, and as it once said, you shall not commit adultery. Well, I say if you have lusted uh, for another woman in your heart, you've committed adultery. Well, again, adultery is, is, uh, means that you know, there's grounds for divorce and everything. He's not saying if you lust, then there's grounds for divorce in that marriage. But he is saying, listen, I am making a point. It's deeper than that. It's not about just your behavior. It's, it starts in your heart, and it starts with lust. Then he goes on into the next one, using hyperbole again about uh, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He's not saying literally cut off your hand. He is making a strong statement. And then in the next verse, uh, verse 31, is the one that we have looked at here. Matthew five thirty-one, verse 32 says, Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality calls her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. So I believe that he's making a strong point that, hey, do not, you know, let's exalt marriage. Divorce is, has, can have deeper roots, and that is this spirit of adultery, or he just explained in a few verses before that, lust. And so I think this is a strong teaching, not just for the men of that day, because that's who was abusing that, that uh, Moses uh, uh, allowance there. And, but in today's America, there are too many divorces, folks. In the church, there's too many divorces. And he's challenging us to say, if you've gotten divorced or attempted to, and it's not... Uh, one of the biblical reasons of divorce, check your heart, it could be lust driving you to go to that ultimate decision of divorce. No, you haven't slept with one. No, you haven't actually uh, uh, got into some kind of weird emotional relationship with someone at work and been unfaithful that way. But it could be you're looking at the grass is greener on the other side. And that's drawing you away. Well, Stephen, how does this work for you as a pastoral counselor here for Living Waters uh, Church? How does this kind of work out in reality? 
Because the question is out there, so pastor, would you remarry someone if they have gotten divorced uh, without one of those three biblical reasons that you're going to go through later on? Would you do it? And I would, maybe. I have to listen, I have to understand the situation. Was it because, uh, was it, were they an, a, a believer or unbeliever when they got the divorce? Even then, have they gone back in, in prayer and said, God, what, what do I need to learn from this? What needs to be cleansed from my life? Because remember, folks, it's true, the stats are real. Second marriages, they bump up more in, di- in the divorce rate, 10 to 15% more. Third, uh, third marriages go up another 15 or so percent. It is not easier in the second and third marriage. There's cleansing, there's counseling that's needed. Oh, what, okay then, so what if they were both Christians and they got a divorce in the past? Would you remarry, remarry them, them then? Maybe. I've got to understand where they are. I've got to know their journey, their, their walk here. I've got to listen. I've got to hear what's the context of the situation. And if they have gone back, and perhaps that's what we would do in that counseling session and have more of it, did they really learn for the failures and the sins that caused that marriage with the with Christians, did they get cleansed or not carrying into the next relationship uh, bitterness and baggage into that next relationship? Here's one I'm just going to kind of throw out as freebie uh, right now. Well, uh, you know, uh, would you marry someone? Well, if they're living together, not in that situation. I'm a pastor, and uh, I represent God, like I said, at that wedding uh, covenant making. And if a, if a couple is sleeping together or living together, they're telling me they want a Christian wedding because it's pretty, etc. But they don't necessarily want a Christian marriage covenant. Because if they do, in the Word of God, it is clear as day. You do not have uh, fornication with your you know, girlfriend, boyfriend, uh, with your... Uh, fiance beforehand and so uh, I go through that up front with them before I say yes I'll marry you we go into questions like that another piece of it is that you if if I'm going to marry you then you have to go through premarital counseling sessions it's amazing the stats on this it's 30 percent less likely to have a divorce if you go through a thorough set of premarital counseling sessions if I'm doing them and I, I will, that's one of the questions. How are you doing with the purity? How is that going? If they were, were living together, I won't do it unless they realize, okay, I want to I have a Christian marriage. I want to do it God's way. We'll make arrangements and we'll sleep in other places and so forth until the wedding. That's happened. It's been kind of an interesting uh, uh, journey with this. I had a couple who was... Uh, Remarriage um, uh, for one in Philadelphia. They liked the premarital sessions. Uh, the the fiance said, "I'm not going to stop uh, this uh, this sex thing. God created it's too good." The uh, man said, "Oh, I'm willing," but he realized she wasn't willing. They said, "We'll still do the premarital sessions though to help our relationship." And they had the justice of peace marry him. I had another young couple that never had, it was a Puerto Rican young couple, didn't, had never seen a marriage in their family. They had just generations of people just living together. They were going to be the first marriage in their family, and they were living together. And 
he ended up moving out of the bedroom and then another week or two later got into a house that needed a house sitter and he was able to stay there until the marriage. And they wanted to do it God's way. I had uh, one time uh, a young lady came and was living with uh, her fiancé and wanted me to marry her. I ended up was going to be out of town that weekend and couldn't marry her. But in counseling, she realized, I've got to move out of this house. She was convicted. She came to me asking the question, it's, is God going to bless my marriage? And I just went through it. And she said, so she moved out of the house and slept on her mom's couch until the wedding. You want to have all of God's blessings in starting a marriage. And so I say to you, hey, uh, covenants that last, I mentioned this last week, they are willing to go to counseling, including premarital counseling. But counseling for marriages in crisis or not in crisis, just going through bumpy roads, is the way God provides resources of Him being the unifier from that first day of the covenant and say, I'm available the whole, for the next 20, 30, 50 years. Come and get counsel from godly people who have gifted and trained in this area. It is the most disheartening thing that I, have, that I, that I go through, I think, as a pastor. I, I think it's the most disheartening thing. When someone comes up to me and they say, Pastor Stephen, I've had enough. I can't take it anymore. The pain is too great. I've tried everything. I'm done. We're getting a divorce. And I know nothing about this. I didn't know. I'm in shock. I'm like, I didn't even know. I couldn't tell. You guys hit it so well. What What are you talking about? I'm in shock. And after getting a little over my shock and hearing the story and the pain and giving some hugs and tears and and, and holding each other and just trying to give comfort with this, this hopeless spouse. I asked God for that opening to say, you know what? You really didn't try everything. And therefore, there is another piece that you haven't fully honored the marriage covenant and vows that you gave. Because you didn't come to one of the elders, you didn't come to Dolores and let us set up a, a chance for God to be that unifier, that God is the God of hope. He's the one who sanctifies each one individually and brings us, can bring us back to a place of restoration and unity. I've seen miracles, folks, of total hopeless situations, and God can restore See, when you, uh, again, it's just, it's just as powerful as can be. Matthew 18 is the, the passage right before we just read in Matthew 19 about marriage and divorce. Matthew 18, this is to be applied in marriages. Let's look at these verses again, uh, starting at verse 15, and say it like, a, and read it like it is for a marriage. If your spouse, your husband of wife, sins, go and show him or her his fault in private. If he listened to you, you have one your spouse back. Verse 16. But if he or she does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may can be confirmed. See, it might just be so secret and so well hid that not many people know about it. But usually someone does. There are that do. And have you brought those other hopefully Christian friends who can verify what's going on 
to this a conversation. Sometimes it's in, in more serious situations. It's, a, it's an intervention. It's a crisis uh, intervention to stop the track that things are on. Verse, next verse. If he or she refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And that would be the leadership representatives of the church, the pastors, elders. And if he or she refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That means someone that has chosen not to say, yes, I, I want God to be our unifier. I want God to speak into this marriage and into my life. Uh, they've rejected God in God's way. God's given Matthew 18 for restoration. Don't reject that and move on and say, I've had enough, it's done, I'm out of here. In this process, you can only imagine that covenants that last, yes, they're willing to go to counseling, but they're also willing to forgive. But Stephen, you don't know how bad it gets. You don't know how what he said, you know what she did to me and the rejection I feel. I, I, I know only you really know... I, It's beyond my imagination, but there's scriptures and there's a way to God to heal your heart and forgiveness is a part of it. Mark 11, 25 says, whenever you stand praying, Jesus is talking, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your your father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. See, it's part, it's a blessing for you to forgive and I don't know what day and when it will happen, that grace, you'll start sensing it. Yes, I can obey Christ there because some of the hurt and pain is so deep. Forgiveness is the last thing on your mind. But First John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a scripture I'm trusting in, that this is true. Not just when you get saved, this is true ongoing as a believer. That we need God's full forgiveness and cleansing a thing going on in your life, and then the one who's mainly at fault. It was really their fault. What I'm hoping and praying, First John 1 for them, that they humble themselves and come to God with cleansing and willingness to, to start over. Covenants that last, they're willing to go to counseling, they're willing to forgive. They also cultivate their friendship, romance, and sexual intimacy. These are things that find out in the counseling room that that are broken, things that are uh, forgotten, things that have been left and pushed aside. These things actually connect friendship, romance, and sexual intimacy actually connect with each other and affect each other. I want to get into this as that area, the practical things there in, in this part of building relationships, no matter what stage you're in, we need uh, encouragement there and some helpful hints and and hacks, and I'm going to get into that next week. Because God wants our marriages not just to survive, but thrive in all the stages that we're in. All right, Stephen, you said that there's more than uh, you know, one reason, biblical reason for divorce. Let's go there, all right? Number one, sexual unfaithfulness. That's clear in Scripture. Another one is desertion, abandonment. Go to uh, 1 Corinthians 7. We're going to read verse 15 here in a minute, but let me just tell you what's happening in this, in this chapter. This is a long chapter that uh, deals with lots of marriage issues that Paul gets into. It's, it's, it's a lot. I mean, he, he jumps around back and forth, and, and it takes time to study and, and discuss, and, 
And again, if, if this is on your heart to do that, you know, call me, let me know, I enjoy that. And yet it does take some time. And already Paul has talked about if your spouse is an unbeliever, but that spouse is not, you know, is, is fine with the marriage, is fine, you know, there's, it's not causing issues or problems, and, and, and doesn't, you know, because you've become a Christian and you got saved, then then just don't change anything. You're saved now. You're a child of God, but that, don't get that, give that a license. Oh, I must get a divorce now because I'm, I'm married to an unbeliever. And he says, no, just, just stay as you are. And that's one of the themes later on in this chapter as well. He says, listen, once, once you get saved, you, you don't just start changing everything. God's going to use you where you are at the time. Verse 15 says, Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? And so there is this thing of, of abandonment where a spouse, in this case he's given an example of an unbelieving spouse, uh, may choose, listen, I, this is, I didn't, you weren't a Christian when we first got married. I don't want this anymore. I'm out of here. Now, I want to get into uh, a phrase here. We know that marital unfaithfulness is, breaks the covenant. And that's why God releases that spouse and says, you can Get a, get a divorce. There's a biblical grounds for divorce here because of marital. It breaks the covenant. Now, I believe Jesus is also, and I, as a, even if there's marital unfaithfulness, I hope that that person will try Matthew 18, if they haven't yet, to go through those steps and bring uh, uh, and, and, and give forgiveness a chance and see if this person repents. The issue and the problem, that's why you need more than one person involved here, is that, is that sometimes the person might repent with their mouth, but their behaviors don't change and might even get worse. But no, I, I did repent. I did confess it. No. And so that's why you want this process where there is uh, pastoral counselors. And then as we say, we often use other Christian counselors to help in a long-term process. And over many months and so forth, the people working with each person, they know if the repentance was True repentance with the heart and remorse and conviction of God and there's behavioral change or if it ended up being mere words just to keep everything together. And then you, you have more than one person that says, yes, I know, I've, I've been working with this husband for, for months now and I see exactly what you're talking about. We've been working, if this counselor has been, and, and we see there's, they're actually, it's like, They've abandoned the relationship, but they won't leave. They, they stay in the house. They keep getting, they won't leave, but they've abandoned the relationship. And there's someone needs to look that man or woman in the eye and say, you're, you're not being authentic, real, and truthful here because your actions do not speak what you're saying. You act like you want out of this marriage. If that's the case, then go ahead and leave. There are times where there's a spouse that is in, in bondage and addiction to gambling, to selfish spending. They lose their homes. They go into bankruptcy. And that person is destroying their family. And they might not want help. And it's, such, it's so heartbreaking. 
addictions like um, uh, uh, drug addictions, alcohol addictions are so pervasive and they can't keep a job and they, they're hurtful to the, the family uh, and their relationships and it's worse for them to be together than apart. Without going into Scripture, but just make a comment. In the counseling process, there is, a, in this chapter 7 of, of 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, if you do separate it, just be for a short time so you would not be tempted and, to, and plan on coming, so you dedicate yourself to prayer and plan on coming back together. And that's exactly right. That sometimes it's better to separate, and I'm supportive of that, if you're going to counseling and you're going to counseling to work on yourselves, and then hopefully sooner than later we can get back together. But right now, getting together, you living together and our counseling sessions are just are fruitless because there's so much hurt and pain, there's so much distrust, you can't even uh, work on one issue. But if it's just, oh, I'm just getting out of the house and they're not seeking God in church, a small group, a counseling, and they're just, no, that's not what that is. That is a season to get your heart right with, you know, with God and let Him prepare you for restoration. And so what I'm saying is that there are situations like this and others I'll mention in a minute that there is a broken trust of the marital covenant. Maybe there wasn't marital unfaithfulness, but their actions are so destructive. It's like, you want to just ruin my life and the children's life. You don't care about, do you really want to be in this? You, I, I don't trust you at all right now. I don't know how we can go on in a, as a marriage. So I want to go into uh, some other areas that relate to abuse as far as a third biblical reason for divorce. And I want to uh, go to Psalm uh, 72. Psalm 72 is a psalm of Solomon, the, the wisest king that ever lived. And the first couple verses start off saying, hey, uh, it says, give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. So he's saying, oh, give the king, O God, your judgments, your righteousness. So, so the king can judge people with righteousness and your afflicted ones, your justice. God is a God of justice. God wants kings, rulers, people in authority to have God's justice in mind and heart. And so we read in verse 12 through 14, For he will deliver the needy when he cries for help. And this is talking about the king, the, the, the righteous, just king. Will deliver the needy when he cries for help. The afflicted also in him who has no helper. He will have compassion on the poor and needy. And the lives of the needy he will save. He will rescue their life from oppression and violence. And their blood will be precious in his sight. So what I'm saying is, that applies to families, folks. God's heart for justice, when there's violence in the home, there's physical abuse in the home, God wants to protect and bring justice to the needy, those who alone. And I hear these cries, I, I, I hear them, I see them. They feel all alone, they feel unprotected. Who is going to rescue me? Well, I'm the one in pastoral authority. I have a, a chance, perhaps through Matthew 18, where I can, and sometimes the first thing is get a restraining order on that spouse, right, to protect the women and children or whatever situation it is. 
I'm not going to read all of Psalm uh, 64. It's 10 verses long, but it takes God's heart through this. How God is a God of justice and the words of the enemy are like swords and arrows and they shoot them at the needy and then God sees it and these injustices and He shoots uh, arrows and swords back and He, God sees, people see God's work and they go, wow, look at what God did to protect and, re- and protect that uh, needy person who was weak and being wounded. So what I want to get at here, and I'm going to show you another verse or two about this, that I believe there is such a thing as emotional verbal abuse. When I looked it up, it's actually, they don't really separate the two much anymore in terminology. They, they say emotional abuse is uh, uh, embedded, uh, is kind of the overall verbal abuse is one type of emotional abuse. And here's a couple of verses, I believe, that helps us see that this is part of the God of justice. Psalm uh, 10, verse 17 and 18. O Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to vindicate the orphan and the oppressed. So the man who is of the earth will no longer cause terror. Verbal abuse, of course, can be Things like yelling at the person, insulting uh, them, swearing at them, just beating them down repeatedly with their words. But it can be beyond that. That's, that can, and, and for spouse and children. Someone's got to protect the children, folks. There are st- strong laws that says, even as a pastoral counselor which says, if you believe there is physical abuse, I am required by law to go ahead and make that as a report to Child Protection Services. There's more than verbal abuse. There's rejection. There's, uh, uh, there's putting doubts of who they are, manipulating the truth. There's emotional um, uh, abuse that comes from a silent treatment. Attacks of fear to isolate and control. These are repeated in nature. And again, in the Matthew 18 process, if they haven't gone through it already, it's like, please, someone protect this spouse and children. Can someone help me? I'm all alone. I'm crying out. Job 5 says this, Job 5, 15 and 16, but he saves the needy from the sword, from the mouth of the mighty, and from their hand. So the poor have hope. And injustice shuts her mouth. Psalms in in many places, Proverbs, talks about words being like swords. Hallelujah. God is the unifier of our marriages. In every stage, in any crisis, in any just stuck place, a stuck place, like it's the dilemma. You don't, you don't know where to go next. God has a way, usually through Matthew 18, to open that up and start pouring blessings on that marriage once again. Covenants that last, they're willing to go to counseling. They're willing to forgive. They cultivate their friendship, romance, and sexual intimacy. And they're devoted to one another in life's journey. Because life's journey is, is, is changes. It's different. 
before kids, then you have little kids, and then you have older kids, and then the kids start moving out, and you don't have any kids in the home. Hey, what's this empty nest thing like? All right. Delisa and I are trying to, you know, we're learning this one here. And then, you know, there's other, other stages even beyond that. I want to ask the, the prayer altar teams to go ahead and come up right now. Uh, if the um, uh, worship team go ahead and come up. And we're going uh, to have a, a, a conclusion here. And if you need prayer, we're a house of prayer. I know that I'm going to not hang around. I'm going to go to my office and I'm going to be going to um, uh, Heritage Elementary and be a part of that, uh, the team there. Uh, Philip Whitehead, uh, Leanne uh, is here. She's, they're going to be at um, a Cornerstone and you'll just start there at the front door and, and, you know, 15 minutes plus, whatever. You know, if you need to leave, you need to leave. It's fine. But um, uh, pray... It can be things on the handouts. It can be things that not on the handout. That's not any kind of, uh, you know, it's just a helpful guide. It's not anything that, that you have to try to stick to. And bless that school. Bless it. Living Waters, we want to bless our area schools. So I want to uh, ask you to stand as I uh, speak the ironic blessing over you, but I'm going to do it more for you and your families your marriage, your families, your uh, relationships, the, and, and, and apply this more relationally. And I, I want to say thank you, those who are not married, that you've been gracious to let me teach and, and go into a third part. I want to say thank you. Uh, I think you know how important this subject is, so I feel your release and blessing. And I, it's not my intent to bring up uh, any hurts of the past or anything. I only want God to encourage you, heal you, and lift you up. And one reason why marriage is so valuable is that He created us as one imagery as the bride of Christ. And remember, and we're, we're married to Jesus, our groom. And so all this is important that we do it right because we're displaying to the world what our love relationship would Christ the bridegroom is like. We're in fact in covenant relationship as engaged couples in ancient Israel. Engagement was covenant. And that we will have in heaven the marriage supper of the Lamb. That celebration. Let me tell you, I'm looking forward to that. Unbeatable. The Lord bless you, living waters, families, marriages. The Lord keep you close to one another the Lord make his face shine upon you in all that you're doing relationally as a couple as a family may the Lord be gracious unto you his mercy and grace be abundant to you in whatever dilemma stuck place or or struggle you're in right now God is gracious and merciful to you The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His shalom, His peace in your marriage, in your family, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. Everything as it really ought to be. Nothing missing, nothing broken. May you put your full weight down and rest in the hammock of His smile of approval for you. For in Christ Jesus you are approved 
And He gives you all the grace and power you need to, to lead in this relationship. Serve and bless your spouse. May you walk under the warmth of His presence and hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. You are blessed in order to be a blessing. Lord, that's what we want. We want our marriages, our families to be a blessing to others, to shine out bright, just like uh, the word and interpretation earlier that as we exalt you and do things your way and reflect you, Lord, the harvest will come. People will will notice, they'll ask questions. They want to know more and learn more. Lord, we want our families to shine your truths. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and let them go into worship song, let you come up for prayer for any reason. Uh, because that, that's important for us online. In fact, we have a phone number uh, available for all you online for the next 30 minutes on Sunday morning. And those of you who are, have uh, you know, plans to go pray, I hope it's a lot of you. I hope it's you know, uh, a good group ready to pray. Uh, I can understand, like me, I'm going to be uh, packing my things up and, and getting ready to transition now. Have a great week. Love you guys.